morning, everyone. This is Kurt Sumner in SPS Radio Hour. Thanks for joining us today. If you're listening live, and thanks for joining us remotely if you are listening to us after the fact. Uh, my guest today is, is James Shaw. Welcome, James. Hello. Thanks for having me. James and I have been doing this dance for the last two or three years about when we're going to get James on the show. And uh, so we're, we're glad that you're able to, to join us today. And David was just asking the both of us how our weather was, and we're preparing for a big snowstorm here. So we'll see how that goes in the long run. But it won't bother the show. We'll be able to do that today, James, so we'll be, we'll be good. Um, maybe we could start out just give a little bit of information about yourself and where you work and some of the things you guys are doing. We were talking about the whole mobile LIDAR thing there. Why don't you want to touch on that a little bit? Um, yeah. Um, currently, I work for uh, Greenman Pet Peterson Incorporated. Um, we're in Annapolis Junction, Maryland, but we do have offices uh, nationwide, uh, about 1,400 employees. Um, I, uh, my role in, in Annapolis Junction is I head up our mobile LIDAR efforts. Uh, we have a mobile LiDAR van with a Regal VMX 450 on it. So with a piece of equipment of that size and uh, uh, investment, we do need to move up and down the East Coast and anywhere else it needs to go. Yeah, I think all of us in, in the surveying world hear the different terms about different pieces of equipment and how they, what they might or might not be able to do for us. I'm not sure we actually ever understand understand what they are, though. Till till maybe we talk to somebody who's using them. Um, and is this designed for um, a broad spectrum? I know, just I've really limited background in the whole thing with with mobile lidar, but I know early on a lot of people are using it to do corridor type surveys, highways and power lines and that kind of thing. Is that typically what you do with that, or is there other other applications as well? Um, that is typically what we do with it. Um, actually, the big project that pulled us into that direction was a asset inventory of signage. Um, it was a reflectivity study for MassDOT, Massachusetts DOT. Um, it was over 7,000 miles of highway. Uh, we located every sign. So the accuracy on that was mapping accuracy. We were looking at a foot or less. Um, but we also, since then, have picked up quite a few contracts, particularly with DOTs, um, sometimes with municipalities. Um, again, it's almost always roadways. Um, and those are survey grade, and our survey grade efforts, once we register to the control, we are seeing accuracies typically around two to three hundredths of a foot. That's pretty and that, cool. that would be geodetic accuracy. The relative accuracy is more around a hundredth. Right. That's pretty cool. So on the signage project, they just were trying to get an inventory to to see what they had out there or is replacements or, or all of this uh, stuff, maybe. Yeah, so, so our, our company has in-house programmers. We have GIS. So we actually put together a package so that the mass.dot um, could act, could go out, inventory the signs. They could, they could then use tablets to tell the um, quality of the signs. If a sign needs to be replaced, we now have high-resolution imagery of the sign. We have correct positions, height, dimensions. They know everything they need to know about the sign in a GIS database that then goes to their tablets for their field personnel. So it was targeted specifically for their signage, not necessarily other signage along the road, although maybe that's something I got picked up. But they were really looking for speed limit signs and traffic signal, that kind of thing, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah, and actually a lot of states are dealing with this because federal highways put out mandates to test the reflectivity of the signs, and different states are handling it in different ways. This was a MassDOT solution, and it actually worked out very well for them. They had an incident where a driver was unfortunately killed by a manhole that got thrown up into the air. Well, with, with all this data we've collected, we have all assets, so we then were able to repurpose this data to start noting where draining, um, inlets were, where manholes were, everything that's relevant to their, their corridors. So was your, was the, like the width of your corridor, like right-of-way line to right-of-way line or something? Or? Um, more or less. I mean, we didn't have that data, but we, uh-huh. we would drive each lane. Uh, now on like a four-lane highway, we, do, we would only drive the inside and the outside lane because, um, again, we're looking for features off the highway. Uh, right. Typical survey, we would drive every lane, maybe sometimes the shoulder, too. Right. Yeah, that, that's interesting stuff to just think about that application. And I, I have a question, and this may not be relevant to your work on this signage thing, but you were talking about reflectivity. Yes. I've noticed, and maybe it's just because I haven't paid attention before, but for some reason recently I've been noticing at traffic signals, more and more I see the signal itself um, framed with like a yellow frame around it, like a picture almost. And I'm assuming that has something to do with reflectivity. I don't. Maybe you don't know that, but it, that's the only thing I can. Only reason I can think it would be there. Yeah, you know, now you mentioned I've seen them too, but, but yeah, I don't have knowledge on that particular subject there. Yeah, because at first I thought, well, maybe it was a, a weighted thing because, you know, how how uh, traffic lights are just hanging on wires and they'll blow around a lot, and it, you know, so I thought, well, maybe it was for that. But then I was noticing more at night how much more uh, visible it was from a distance, so that's the only thing I can think of. But uh, So I guess that's that what you're... When you're talking about scanning, obviously we were talking about horizontal distance. Is there a vertical limit? Um, are, are you re- are you referring to an accuracy or, or, or no? No, just distance? what what you capture is it? I mean, are you capturing from some distance right or left of where you are? Is there a limit up and down to what you're capturing? Too, does it only go so high or? No, so the the, uh, the scanners we're actually using are are accurate up to 600 plus feet. Um, the reality, and, and that's a full circle around the scanners, um, okay. so that's vertical as well as horizontal. Uh, the reality of it is, when you're in a moving vehicle, there's only so much compensation that can occur. So we typically don't like to use data much more than 50 feet from the scanner, and that's one of the reasons we try and drive each line. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's is in looking forward and and anytime somebody buys a new piece of equipment, you're looking at what your productivity be gonna be and what your the limitations if there are any in terms of how you can use this piece of equipment. I, I yes. certainly understand the corridor study part of it. What are there other applications? I assume there must be. Um, yeah, so so one of the things we've considered using on, we haven't had the opportunity yet, is when, if we have a large-scale auto survey, um, and it, it's in a, um, say, a, a mall, a shopping mall or something like that, uh, that's going to allow us to very quickly drive, get all the data around the mall. As long as we're on a hard surface, it's it's a scanner. Um, 
we have not gone down this avenue yet, but the scanner can be placed onto an off-road vehicle, onto a boat. There are other applications for it. We just haven't had that opportunity yet. That's an interesting perspective uh, on the off the survey side, because like you said, when you're doing that kind of a survey, there's just so much information that you need to capture. Um, that would that's pretty interesting, and and I'm sure as uh, any like with any piece of equipment, when we buy something, we're always going to try to. Uh, I'm not going to say push the limits, but try to find just just how can we use this for more than one thing. I mean, Obviously, you want to use it as widely as possible. So that, that's a that's an interesting application. Now, do your I know, like you said, you guys have a uh, multiple offices, and so do you have a specific crew that goes from office to office to do their work for them? Or uh, I mean, I assume you just have. I want to say you just have. This is a really expensive piece of equipment. You have one unit that you share through the company. Um, yeah, actually, actually, uh, Greenman Patterson is an ESOP. So, with under the umbrella of the ESOP, we do have other companies that are not considered Greenman Patterson. Uh, one of them is ACA down in Florida, and they also have the exact same unit. So, there is opportunity when we need the additional resources that we we share the resources with each other. Um, as far as actual deployment, though. Um, Basically, when you're operating the system, you need an operator and you need a driver. Um, it does help that the driver understand the nature of the system. You've got to be very careful about how you stop, start. Um, one of the issues, we try not to stop at all. So we will do long rolls on traffic lights, hoping to get a green light by the time we get to it, irritating traffic around us, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but we, we can send our operator to a remote location and have, pick up a driver there, somebody more familiar with the local routes. Uh, typically, we do send teams out of my office, but we will occasionally sub in a driver. Yeah, I noticed that you mentioned the collaborations that you guys have. That's one of the things I noticed on the website, that you have a really extensive list of other people that you work with. And that's really the nature of business these days, um, not just internally, but external collaborations. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've always been a big believer in that. And I've mentioned on the show before, even not necessarily in the same vein, but just one of the blessings I've had being involved with the National Association is having people that I can reach out to almost anywhere in the country if I have a client who needs something. And, and it's people you, you have confidence in. So, you know, those, those kind of uh, collaborations are just invaluable to any company, really. Yes. No question about that. So you've been a surveyor. Or, well, I, I shouldn't say this because most of us, as far as when you say how long you've been surveying, the answer is all my life. <laughs> Um, well, I got into surveying back in 1988. Um, I achieved my license in 2004. Um, it's kind of interesting how I got into it. Um, uh, if you uh, read any of the articles I write, and you and I have talked many times, um, I'm very much a technologist, and technology was the reason I got into surveying. Um, I was hired as a drafter at an engineering firm. I actually really kind of hated it and was not sure if that's what I wanted to do with my life. And the surveying department got a computer, and this was 
back in 1988, nobody understood computers. I knew them. So the surveying department asked if I could set it up. They asked if I could install software. They had somebody coming in that was going to do it, and I said, no, I, I can do all that. And in short order, they asked, well, do you want to be a surveyor? And I said, what's that? You know, and here I am many years, you know, 20 years later, loving it. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's, that's uh, it, it, it's a common story in a way, but every story is unique in some way. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but 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 you're so right about all of us. Somewhere that's a there that epiphany moment when we think, "Gee, this is really cool stuff. I think I want to do this." And you came you came at it at a really great time too, because you know I look back historically, and there was a long period of time where all that innovation didn't occur, and so you came at a good time. And speaking of good times, we're about eight seconds from our first break, so. When okay. we come back, I want to want to chat with you more about this and expound more into other things you're doing. So we'll be right back. Got a Shonsted locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS-recognized surveyor education program by shipping it, at no cost to you, to Shonsted. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.shonstead.com slash NSPS for details. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. As we were going to break, James, you were you made a comment about getting into surveying and how you started, and at some point you made a comment, "Wow, let's see where this takes me." Um, and and obviously it's it's taken you down a good path, being. At, getting involved in, in the state society and doing all the things there. But one of the things that we want to talk about today, of course, is where it's taken you from the perspective of this, I won't call it a new gig necessarily, because I know you, you've written a lot, but maybe this, this regular thing that you're, that's coming up with uh, XYHT is, is a bit of a new twist. Uh, yes, it is. Um I, I've known uh, Gavin and Shelley for a, for a little bit of time now. I've written a few articles for them, and I expressed to them that in you know uh, my post career, I would like to look for sources of uh, 
residual income and, and writing is something that interests me very much. Um, before I ever decided to work into the engineering world, I, I, I toyed with the idea of becoming an English professor. So it's, it's something that's always been appealing to me. Um, and I said, you know, I, I would love to practice my skills, hone my writing abilities, working for the magazine. So they've given me opportunities to keep doing that, and, and, and I appreciate it very much from them. And it's good for them too. I mean, it, it, to have somebody who is writing on a on a regular basis. And uh, of course, the, the thing I didn't mention earlier, actually, when we uh, first came on the air, was the whole forty under forty thing. We've talked about that a good deal on the radio on the radio show, and we've had some number of guests to join us. And not too long ago, a few weeks ago, uh, I had uh, a couple of folks from over in the Netherlands on the show, and, and the lady was one of the forty under forties. But uh, I, I really like what they're doing with that. It's really opened up a lot of information, but it's also opened up a lot of opportunities, like even for us or for me, um, to get to meet so many people through that group that are doing interesting things and, and oftentimes not, not the, quote, typical things, um, and see those perspectives from, from everywhere. That, that, I think they've done a really good job with that. Yeah, it's great. I really enjoyed uh, doing the editorial for that because to, to prepare for that, I did read through all the 40 profiles, and, and it is a very talented group, the yeah. first group, too. And I like the fact they're going to continue it. You know, they did it, and we were thought, okay, that's they've done that, but they just keep doing it every year, and it's just indicative, I think, of how much talent there is out there all across the world, really, that that's in in our realm. And such an exciting time to be there. I was just having a conversation with somebody this morning, and I think you and I may have even talked a little bit off air. But and when I started surveying back in the mid '60s, I, I I wasn't looking at the kind of things we're seeing now. I wasn't even on anybody's radar, I don't think. And now those those changes almost come daily. It seems. Yeah, um, there, there's a writer named Thomas Friedman. Um, and he has a book out right now. Um, it's called uh, Thank You for Being Late, An Optimist Guide to Thriving in the Age of Acceleration. And that's some of his point is that no matter what industry you're in, uh, even if you're not in industry, just life in general, technological pace is accelerating every day. And it's, it's, we're all going to be newbies in the future. We're all going to be learning constantly because things are just changing so quickly. And, and I think in a lot of ways, it it will evolve. Uh, I'm not going to say easily necessarily, but it'll, it'll it'll evolve naturally with those who are coming along in that age of re- uh, revolution. Whereas it's harder, I think, sometimes for those of us kind of on the the tail end of the of the career to appreciate it all and grasp it. And and it's, in my opinion, at least, I think it's caused a it's not an upheaval, really, but it's just a, a difference in perspective going from one generation to the next, and and understand not only understanding but embracing all of those all those technologies as part of our profession. Uh, it's been kind of interesting to watch that evolve. I'm sure you've seen the same thing. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, within the last five years, I would say two of the best hires I've been involved with. Neither one of them were surveyors. They came kind of from an angle at it, 
And it really comes down to attitude. Attitude is everything these days. Yep. Yeah, you got to be willing to to embrace and and uh, take things on. That, that's for sure. As a matter of fact, you were you were talking about your February article coming up. Um, I think the title is "Are You Ready to Be Relevant?" Um, maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, and, and that's already out. Um, oh yeah, it's March. The, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the year's gone by. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I understand that. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it, it, so that was an article that came. Um, that's how I really started getting talking a little bit with uh, Shelley and Gavin again. Um, as I said, I've done some writing for them in the past. And we, we started talking a little bit about would I be interested in writing for them again. And back around October of last year, I started writing a piece that was actually intended for the Maryland Society of Surveyors, for the board, of which I'm a member, um, just trying to express some growing frustrations. Um, as you've mentioned, the, there does seem to be a divide with the emerging technology, its impact on our industry, and how the older surveyors are approaching it at this time. So... I, I shared my draft with uh, Gavin and Shelley, and they saw potential there for a wider audience and, and asked if I would be willing to tune it up and write it for XYHT. Um, they, they typically avoid op-eds, but they felt like this was something that's a frustration that's shared in many of the societies and with many surveyors. So they felt it was rather poignant, and, and it, I was very honored to be given that opportunity. The um, the idea um, are, you know, about are you ready to be relevant, the idea about relevancy, I actually uh, stole from a keynote I saw um, back in 2013 at the uh, Towson University GIS conference, which is likely the biggest GIS conference in Maryland. There was a speaker named Laren Dalby, and he was, a, if I remember correctly, he was the former Arkansas Geographic Information Officer. And he was asking that question about GIS. Are we relevant? Are we relevant? And that really resonated with me. And I found myself asking myself that very question since then. And that became the theme of this article. And I think that's a, um, a challenge of sorts, in, at least in our minds, with that question. And not, not necessarily from our own perspective about are we relevant, but maybe more so, are we perceived to be relevant? Um, because it seems that more and more things change and become more easily accomplished in terms of measurement and calculation and creating and, and pre making presentation of information and materials. Um, at least from a server's perspective, I think sometimes we look at that as though, uh, rightly or wrongly, and I'm not making a judgment about which it is, the whole relevance of, of our profession in general to the rest of the world, at least in their minds. I mean, in our own mind, obviously we're relevant to everybody because we're dealing with one of the most precious things people uh, have is, is land and what they're going to do with it. Um, but certainly we, we all have those issues about relevancy. And so, and, and your thoughts on that, and, and I think are similar to mine, which is we can only be relevant if we choose to be. Yes. I mean, maybe I'm a little biased, but I believe 
we surveyors are very relevant, extremely relevant. But what I fear is if we don't keep up pace with the emerging technologies, if we're not knowledgeable on the emerging technologies, people other than surveyors are going to make us irrelevant. Yeah, and you, you really see that already in a lot of ways, um, where if, for a lack of understanding or a lack of caring, it doesn't really matter which it is, uh, the, the thought that what surveyors bring to the table isn't relevant from the perspective that they have to be the ones who bring it. Yes. <laughs> All this other technology allows people to gather data and do things with it. They may not really understand all the elements of it, and, and particularly as far as boundaries are concerned, but I'm seeing what I think are signs that people are beginning to even look at that side of it as though, well, we've got it over here. Does it really matter if if somebody has verified that on the ground, so to speak? You know, we just, we just give people the information, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, it, it, it's a vexing problem on so many levels. Um, we, we just... An issue I've been dealing with recently is um, there's a lot of companies in our region, and I'm sure this is happening nationwide, that are offering drone services or UAS, and you know that's the proper term, but I think everybody knows them more commonly as drones. And they're saying they're surveying, and and the software allows them very easily to believe they're surveying. And I would even say the software gives rather accurate surveys. so the problem, and one in particular that came to my attention, is is a local company that the rumor I've heard from uh, some some people I've talked that know a little bit more about this is they believe it's a 19 year old uh, student out a college student who is a drone. He purchased the Velodyne laser scanner and attached it to the drone, and he's offering better, faster, cheaper surveys. Now he probably does not have the understanding of what real surveying is. Maybe he does. I, I, I doubt he lacks the technical insight. But when you compare it to traditional point-and-shoot surveying, especially if the surveyor is just doing the work on assumed datum, I would not be surprised if this person with a drone with no background is actually providing a more complete, more accurate survey, and that's scary. Yeah, at least from the from the property characteristics side, not, not from the, the boundary side, but... You're right about the, the the actual information about the property itself in terms of and, 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 and that kind of thing. Right, and that's a big fear of mine is that if we don't keep up on all the technology, the last bastion for us is going to be boundary and property, mm-hmm. and, yep. and and everything else will have left left our uh, our purvey. Yeah, you you may have heard the discussion. I've it's been on the radio show a couple of times about this company called Hero X that has this challenge out. Um, looking for quicker, faster ways to get surveys done, and, and they're focusing really toward the ALTA and SPS survey. But, right. <laughs> excuse me, but it's that same mentality that we've got all this, inform- this information gathering poss- uh, capability, so, <laughs> excuse me, i got a cough there. Why can't we use it uh, to do the things we want to do and forget that other guy who's taking too much, too much time to get it done? Yeah, I have heard about that. Um, I don't. I don't. I think some surveyors look at it and find it laughable. I, I don't think I'm finding it laughable, but I do believe at the moment their uh, their desire, their criteria is unachievable. Yeah, but they do. And by the way, we're going to break. We'll pick up on that. When okay. We come back. 
We'll be back in a couple minutes. Got a Shonsted locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS-recognized surveyor education program by shipping it, at no cost to you, to Shonsted. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.shonsted.com slash NSPS for details. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not... Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Got a Shonsted locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS-recognized surveyor education program by shipping it at no cost to you, to Shonsted. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.shonsted.com slash NSPS for details. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. When we were on the, the relevant question earlier, James, I don't. I, I have this tendency to sidetrack people because something pops in my head, and I'm too crazy not to say it. But anyway, <laughs> so I, I, I don't want to leave the topic of relevancy and, and the fact, the question of are, are we uh, ready to be relevant? Uh, and shortcut any of that uh, conversation that you might want to have. So before we before we head into anything else, if there's other things you want to add, that's that's great. Um, yeah, uh, it, um, one of the focuses in the article that I wrote is what, one of my big concerns is that when I first got into this business, which, again, was 88, early 90s, um, I saw we were going, the, the industry was going through a very big change at that moment, and it was the change from analog to digital, and, and there was a lot of technology coming out, and at that time, the attitude, not just in the company I worked for, which was at that time was a rather small company, but for for everybody I talked to, we I would go to uh, Maryland Society of Surveyor meetings, even as a technician, and we would share stories. And everybody was embracing the technology. They they were moving towards uh, laser-based measurements. They were moving towards GPS and data collectors and using CAD to do drawings. And here we are in a day and age when GIS should be more relevant. Point clouds should be something everybody's aware of and knows how to work with and manipulate. Um, photogrammetry and, and high-resolution photography are really becoming pieces of surveying. And very few people are embracing these technologies. Uh, and, and to me, these are the same peers that went through the changes in the early 90s. And it's a little baffling to me why... It was so embraced back then, but now it's not. And, and I fear 
that this is where we as surveyors are going to have ourselves boxed into a very small corral if we don't embrace these technologies because other people are. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, and I have to wonder, thinking back to that period of time you're talking about and even moving forward, and, and actually a bit before that, I mean, in, in, in my career we started looking at what in those days were called distance meters um, that helped us gather more information over longer distances and, and those kind of things. And I, th- I think part of that is for people in, in my generation, a lot of the tools that were coming along in the time frame that you're talking about, everybody could see those as an augmentation of our ability to gather information that we need and we could understand it well enough to feel comfortable using it. But as things evolved and we got into more high technological uh, uh, equipment and solutions, maybe because of educational requirements, maybe not, I I won't say that it is, but perhaps it's part of it, I think the comfort level of embracing the new technology for the people in, in, in my generation has has diminished somewhat because we don't feel comfortable. We have to rely on somebody else who has that capability, and there's no nothing wrong with that. We should do that. But I just think it's it's perhaps had an impact on, on our level of comfort in looking into and trying to embrace those new technologies, even though we're fully aware of how important it is to do that. And I may be totally wrong, but I, I just sense that might be part of it. Yeah, and and, and one of the things that, that at least you know outside of boundary into the topographic part of what we do, um, some of the technologies I see that cause me great concern about our continued involvement, and I'm sure you've heard this term, are the technologies for city mapping. Um, I, I recently went saw a presentation that they were claiming that the accuracy, horizontal and vertical, was around two-tenths of a foot. Now, two-tenths of a foot, we still don't consider survey grade, but it's getting there very close. Oh, yeah. And to, yeah, and to me, the geospatial mantra for technology is cheaper, faster, more accurate. So it's only a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe that kind of bleeds over into another thing that, that we were going to talk about today, and that was the whole idea of serving as a commodity as well as a service. Yes. So, so you know, from my opinion, um, we, we are knowledge workers. That's a term that came out some time ago, but uh, I don't know that everybody's embraced it, but we are. We, we create knowledge. We create data. And our mindset historically has been get hired to provide a service, provide that service, follow it away or archive it. And we're in a day and age now where data mining, big data, is, is, is a huge factor. And that requires retaining the knowledge, retaining the data, making it available. So from my perspective, there's much greater value in providing access to your data. And I have met with and talked with a few surveyors that are doing that. Um, I, I spoke with a gentleman at the Pennsylvania conference who took his entire database and he's a sole proprietor, so this isn't something that a big corporation needs to do. He took his entire database, placed it into a GIS. He did that because he felt it would provide value if he were to re- when when he was looking to retire to pass on his company. And he said, in short order, some people found out he had this. 
and a utility company came to him and asked if they could purchase access to it. And he said that paid for his efforts and then some. That's that's a, a really interesting concept and and one that forums probably not the right word, but isn't necessarily top of mind in the way in the way we think about things. Because our our theory, I think, had always been this is my data. I have to hang on to it. And uh, but this this is this opens up a whole other area of being able to uh, provide information and. And I don't know how to say this exactly, but that that whole idea of it's mine, I can't give it to anybody. We're we're doing a little session here at the conference this week on what we're calling survey plats and survey plats in GIS, and the, the idea being that the the world could be a better place, perhaps, if if our survey information on property were attached to parcels that are in the GIS, so that you have an actual survey information about that property rather than what popped out of the GIS, and we've talked about this on the show before. And uh, the first thing you hear from people is, oh, no, I can't do that because somebody else will be able to use my information. And, but that's kind of getting to the commodity side, in a sense. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 again, I have, uh, again, one of the things I mostly take care of is a mobile LiDAR scanner. So we're, we're pr- providing lots of data being re- recorded very quickly. Um, just recently did a 11-mile project, and it took us three hours to collect the data. Wow. And that's side roads, the main highway. So we have a wealth of data. And, and in the mobile industry, the mobile LiDAR industry, repurposing is a big part of that because you're only going to get so much on your initial scan. But then being retaining ownership of that data, being able to provide that data again for other purposes is where you actually make the profit in that industry. So, and when you're gathering that data now with connection to GPS and whatever else we've got out there that helps us fix position, so to speak, um, how much do you or do you need to in any way have that tied to any kind of ground control you've got? Or is that even part of the equation now? No, it's still part of the equation. Um, if you're doing it for GIS purposes only and you're okay with a foot plus or minus, you do not need any control. The um, corrected GNSS signals are, are enough, good enough for what we're, we, you need there. Um, if you are trying to do survey accurate work, then we still need control. We, we place control every 500 feet, and these are usually nails with a chevron because the scanner is not going to see the nail, but it will see the chevron. And we actually only hold the control every 1,500 feet, and the other two five, the other two points between those are validation points. So that is a way for us to check the data to make sure that we are getting the accuracies we're supposed to get. Yeah, and, and that makes perfect sense. Actually, the reason I ask that question is I think sometimes getting back to that comfort level of, of people in our profession using new equipment. Um, it's like with anything else. You, you need to have that understanding of, of what it's tied to and that kind of thing and not just go turn it on and say, I'm good to go. Uh, so that, that was really the reason I asked that question. I kind of knew sure. that. <laughs> um, sometimes that does tend to, tend to be the answer, even if it's just 
using GPS in general. I, I was just having a conversation with somebody here this morning at the conference about that. Uh, I think it might have been Jim Carlson, actually, about this whole idea of, of understanding how to use equipment that you buy. Yes. And, and, and that's testing, testing. Um, one of the things I've been a big advocate of for most of my career here is is don't be afraid to push the button. You know, make sure you know how to get back to where you are in case things go horribly wrong. Ha- have your safety net there. But don't be afraid to push every button on your equipment to find out exactly what does it do. That's how you get value out of it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I have to laugh, though, because when you say that, uh, my wife's always saying that to me about using my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Like okay, push that button. I'm like okay, but what if it blows up? You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really believe. I mean, I'm sure you're talking a smartphone, and I, I really am starting to believe that if you don't have a smartphone in modern society, you're kind of at a disadvantage. And I'm not yeah. saying a, a, a huge one, but 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 there are benefits to it that people in the know definitely take t- take advantage of. Yeah, and and I, I do have empathy for 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 people who have that reluctance to, like you said, push the button. Because, you know, I grew yeah, up but, in, but, in, in an era when, you know, making a mistake was a bad thing. So. Right. Now, my, my parents, as much as I try and uh, convince them to convert, they both want flip, flo- flip phones, and they go out of their way to find them. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some people understand. just can't drag along. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, That that's for sure. And we all have our uh, our insecurities, I guess is a good word. Sure. You know, we still have our, uh, sometimes uh, I think I'm, I'm still using a rotary phone sometimes in my mind, even though uh, all this electronic stuff exists, but it's part part of the deal moving forward. And we're, we're about a minute out from break, so I, I don't want to jump in. I, I am really interested, though, in the thing you mentioned when we were having a conversation about what we're going to talk about today, um, the line you gave me, the greatest achievement of future surveyors. I think that's a great line, actually, and, and I, I know where it's leading, but uh, we need to figure out how to market that, that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's an absolutely great concept to think about um, because it's, it's important for us to be part of the future, of course. And so when we come back from break, uh, our audience is going to be really interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. So let's take that break, and, and we'll be back here in just a couple of minutes. Attention surveyors. Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. Quick stakes. Is your answer to staking lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes? Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800 438 
888-253-0387 or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. James, we were at the end of the last segment. We were talking about this concept of the greatest achievement of future surveyors, and, and you know, I'm kind of a quasi-music guy, and uh, grew up with it, of course. But I don't know if you've ever heard if this is a country song, so you might not have ever heard the, the song. But when I read that line, it had this similar impact on me as the title of a song. That I think is a really cool song. It's called "The Greatest Man I Never Knew." Okay, and it's it's a song about how the writer of the song never quote knew or appreciated their father and took for granted who that person was and never really thought about what that person meant to other people or the rest of the world and. And that type of thing. It's it's kind of an emotional song, but it, it reminded me of that because, in some way, surveyors are the greatest people other people will never know. Um, because sort of the nature of what we do, and we're the type of people usually who are maybe more intro introverted than extroverted in a lot of cases. But just in the the achievements of what surveyors before us and even now in our generation that surveyors are are providing and uh, and it's and you hear this all the time it's kind of that unknown thing and a lot of that's on our own fault obviously but that's what it made me think of and I know that what you're talking about is a, is a different approach in a way to that but that's it really brought those thoughts into my mind is that you know, here we are this great profession of people and and oftentimes Nobody understands or, or even knows what we do, but I know that. Well, this, well we're the people the at the mall with the clipboard, right? I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're the people at the mall with the clipboard, right? Oh yeah, right. Or you know, <laughs> asking who you're going to vote for next time or whatever. <laughs> I guess in today's political world, uh, you probably shouldn't say who you're thinking about voting for. Somebody may attack you one way or the other. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's not not good times right now. <laughs> no, it sure isn't. Not from that perspective. That's a topic we none of us wants to talk about. But but it's it's it is sad, really. But I was interested in your concept, and you were in your reference note. You were talking about a national cadaster, and uh, I was talking about talking with those folks from Belgium recently, and that's that's what they were involved in was their the national cadaster there. Yeah, and, and I, I personally. 
I guess the best way to explain things for me is when I see problems, I try to reduce them down to the simplest nature. And I've looked at what's going on, the, the current conversation about nat- national cadaster, and it's usually at a very high level, an academic level, and that's going to be hard to get everybody on board with that. And they're not really even talking about a survey-accurate one. Right. And, and I've thought about this for several years now, about a way that it could be achieved. Um, one of the biggest things is getting the surveyors themselves to change their mindset that they're willing to share their data and be proud of the work that they've done, proud enough to, to want to share it, to, to challenge people to, to here it is, and if you, if you see something wrong, please let me know, and not keep it as, uh, as we spoke about before, something that they do the project and they put it away in a drawer and archive it. Right, kind of like what we were talking about earlier in a sense. Yeah, and, and, and my concern here, and, and I speak about this a little bit in the article about Are We Relevant?, is when we reach a point where all land features, the, the topographic side of it, are known within a tenth of a foot, and we cannot provide that same confidence with the property boundaries and easements, how will that make our profession look? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I so, rail so, all the time on the radio show and other places about us claiming to have uh, have dibs on the, the uh, accuracy of location of uh, property markers but yet we end up putting five of them in a space about three inches long. Right. Well, and, and I, I, had a, uh, I had a mentor when I was coming up um, who, who really kind of put things in perspective for me. He was a licensed surveyor um, and, and, you know, again, reductionist view of it. Points make lines and lines make boundaries. And our job is to figure out where that point is and where that line is. And I think a lot of trouble begins when surveyors lose sight of that simple concept. They're trying to float an entire plat to a couple of pipes. And, yes, they're going to find stuff that disagree. They're going to find some that agree. And, and they believe that's an answer when that's just a partial answer. And, and you also have the problem where a lot of surveyors are trying to rigorously apply a mathematical solution to what really is a legal problem. Right. I know. Uh, I know. I know. Surveyors like my thought in for sure. Yeah, I know. Surveyors like Jeff Lucas tour the country talking about this. You know, he writes mm-hmm. about this frequently. Yep. I know he's a bit of a firebrand, but I think you need that sometimes. You need somebody who can get you talking about a controversial subject. Yes, and and being willing to have that conversation and not just say, "Well, that guy's off the rails." Yes. So, so I look at the technologies we have um, at NGS. The NGS uh, um, monuments, they are a perfect example. We can go out with our technology time and time again, and we can know that we're hitting that monument three, four hundredths of a foot, well within surveying tolerance. And, and if we do a rigorous enough survey, then we're hitting it within hundreds. So the technology is there. And the technology is there to share our results, GIS again. Uh, GIS online would be a perfect way to share these results if the right format was set up. And and where I try and reduce this down a little bit, and I try and make it more simple approach, is my thought is you take these points, you take these lines, and somebody, (laughs) I notice I'm throwing this out as kind of a nebulous term, but somebody needs to develop or a group needs to develop a pedigree or a rating system for these points and lines. 
you know, a, a, a estimate of their confidence. If it's a well well known, well documented, reliable monument, that could be an A rating. But if there's no monument or where the monuments of dubious nature, that could be a D rating. So, and, and as as the lines, as the points that make up a boundary start to get these ratings, you start to get a reliance on how how accurate is this boundary. And that's something I would believe a homeowner who's purchasing a property would be highly interested in. That's something I believe a lender or a title insurer would like to know. And it doesn't have to be a formally recognized system. If somebody builds it and people begin to trust it, that's going to give it its eventual recognition. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And so the, the I guess the big question is, how does that begin? Well, <laughs> who's the champion? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, obviously, I think there needs to be, you know, investment, you know, Kickstarter fund. I'm, I, I don't know that I'm the one to do it. You know, it's something I've toyed with, but but there's a there's a lot of technical know-how that goes into that too that I may or may not have at the moment. Um, but but if there was a repository and it was a voluntary system. I, I personally believe that as it gains recognition, just just like any kind of social media does, that you know, Wikipedia, I think most people turn to Wikipedia as a resource now. And yes, it can have wrong information in it, but the system is set up in such a way that it's rigorously tested. People can say, hey, wrong information has been introduced into here, and it gets removed. Very similar to that, I believe that a voluntary land system can be built it can be tested, and as it gains popularity and reliance, people are going to, surveyors are going to be more willing to be a part of that too. Do you think that comes through organizations that could pull that stuff together, or is it going to have to be done more on a a business model, not on an association model, where somebody's going to begin to build something that other people will contribute to, uh, rather than you know, on an associational level, about all you can build is an idea. Um, I, I believe I believe there could be multiple avenues towards it, um, and, and that's that's the beauty of the internet is there are so many resources on the internet. Some of them have come from just a crowdsource mentality, especially open source software, which controls just about everything we touch. But everybody's cell phone, in one way, shape, or form, was birthed off of open source software. Um, the internet itself really is open source based, so it could come from a, a crowd approach, or it can come from, as you said, a business model that's built upon. Um, I believe a business model would probably be the quicker, cleaner approach to getting there. That, that that's not the only avenue. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true, and that's not to say that perhaps there should be uh, some level of interest put into this to our local, state, national organizations, or whatever if for nothing else, to recognize the viability of something like that, but not necessarily yeah, that, be the pre- precipitator of getting it done. Yeah, and I, I rechecked this fact, uh, knowing I was coming on the show today and we were going to talk a little bit about this. There's over 148 million parcels in the United States. Yeah, By my estimation, with the number of surveyors we currently have, that should take 20 to 30 years to complete if we were working on it today. Right. Of course, that brings up a whole other question of 
how many servers are there going to be in the future and how many do we really need? <laughs> we, we wring our hands about uh, the population perhaps going down, but we've never actually figured out how many we're going to need in the future. Well, and, and um, I love reading. And I mentioned when we were off the air that I also have a hour drive each way to work, so I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to uh, books on Audible. And one I was recently listening to was uh, The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly, where he talks about the technological forces that are going to shape our world into the future. And a big part of that is going to be AI and robotics. And he doesn't envision a world where AI and robotics replaces people, but enhances people. They work side by side. So the surveyor now that needs a team of four or five technicians to help them accomplish the work may do... 10 times at work using an AI and a robot that works side by side with them. Right. Yeah, that's very true. Well, we are just over a minute from being through this show, believe it or not. So I want to make sure that I thank you for joining me today. And it's been a great conversation. I'd love to continue on with it uh, somewhere down the road and, and certainly share ideas back and forth and, and try to figure out ways maybe we can, through, uh, as you said, various outlets through which our associations or whatever at least present the concept of try to get people to embrace it, not necessarily that anybody's going to control it, but just get people raising the level of, of interest and, and uh, knowledge about it. So I, from, from that and lots of other perspectives, I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to join me. Oh, I loved it. Thank you for having me on. Now that you know how easy it is, I'll have to rope you in again sometime soon. <laughs> I think we can arrange that. Continue our conversation. But uh, So anyway, I, I do really, uh, really appreciate it, and I, I hope you don't get snowed in like it looks like we're going to. Uh, I think it's unavoidable in this region. Yep, I think you're right. So anyway, take, take care. Have a great day. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.